0: to the Rock Christian Church podcast. Today's message is The End of the Matter by Pastor Sean Wood. Okay, we're going to come uh, around Ecclesiastes again. We're going to bring this to a conclusion today. Uh, if you'd like to meet me, we'll, we will begin in chapter nine. Uh, just a quick recap of where we're up to in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been talking about climbing the mountain of meaning. haven't yeah? we? ever realise that both inside of churches and outside of churches, everybody's looking for meaning and everybody's looking for purpose. And it just so turns out that so many times people are looking in the wrong areas. And the writer to Ecclesiastes is King Solomon. And we need to remember that King Solomon was, to begin with, was a man that lived close to the heart of God, but over a period of time, he did slip away. In fact, it's interesting when we look at all the kings of Israel and we have a look at the life of King Solomon. King Solomon is the only king in which the prophet did not speak into him. Isn't it interesting what happens when the word of God is separate from a person's life? King Solomon goes off in varying directions, but he walks away from God and he has a period of time that I think Ecclesiastes was written in a lot of that time of when he was away from God. But... The, the preacher, he calls himself here is he wants us to know about this word hevel. And in your Bible, it will be translated as meaningless or emptiness or perhaps it means vanities. And they are all correct, but it doesn't fully grasp what the preacher wants to tell us, that, that, this, that this life can be like hevel. It's like a vapor or it's like a smoke. It gives the appearance of being solid, but when you try to grab hold of it, in fact, there's nothing there. And so the preacher wants us to know that as we go through life, we, we so often try to build and establish our lives on the things of this world. We try to find all of our purpose and meaning in the things of this world. And the preacher says, you know what? There's nothing solid there for you to base your life on. And today I want to bring everything in Ecclesiastes to a so what You know, I've said that uh, so many people reckon that this book shouldn't even be in the Bible. I've heard other reputable preachers say we'll preach on chapter 1 and chapter 12. The rest is nonsense. We shouldn't even look at it. But what we do discover in the book of Ecclesiastes is, whilst everybody is happy to ignore the elephants that are in the room, the preacher says, let's give them a tickle and get them up and moving and see what is going on here. Elephants like time. Have you ever noticed that it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what cream you put on your face, time has an effect on all of us. It has a greater effect on some than it does on the others. But it all has an effect on all of us. Do you, have you ever realised that despite all our medical advancements, we still die, friends? Time and death are two things that are imposed on all of us. And Ecclesiastes would urge us to steward both of them well. And last week we had a look at the schoolmaster of suffering, how God can use the schoolmaster of suffering so often to awaken an awareness of him within our lives. Uh, Mark Connor, if you ever get a chance to hear Mark Connor speak, Pastor Liz, would you not do so? You would do so. Amen and amen. And I love what he said as he was preaching his first message uh, at the conference. I'm sitting there going, amen, amen, amen. I can't write amen fast enough because it's all the stuff that I've been saying for for such a period of time. It was like a, a solidifying of so much stuff. But he said, you know, what we read in Isaiah of God when he says, I will take you through the river and I will, be, I will take you through the, through the fire. Just so happens that we serve a God of the through when we want so often a God that says around. God, take me around the fire, please. Take me around the river if you can. And I don't want to go through it. And I preached earlier this year on three men in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Not Abednego. It's a place in Australia, Abednego. (laughs) And these three men stood before the most evil, wicked and powerful king of their day. And they said, you know what? We're not going to bow down to you. And if if God wants to, he can absolutely save us from that fiery furnace. But then they said three of the most powerful words that you will find in scripture. But if not, we will worship him. And what happens? They get thrown into the furnace. Did you notice that? Everyone's expecting, oh, God will save them. And he does. Because Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and there are four, not three. God was in the furnace with them and he rescued them. So as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, you know, I was was listening to an interview. uh, Andrew Denton was interviewing Mick Fanning. I actually quite like Mick Fanning, he's a surfer, and everybody in this room will immediately think, oh yeah, he's the guy that punched the shark. Not the guy that won all those surfing titles and was pretty well respected around the world, he's the guy that punched the shark. Even he says, I will always be remembered as the guy that punched the shark. But he has done some extraordinary things in his life, he has achieved some extraordinary achievements. But he was, as he was working through Andrew Denton, he said, he said, describe me what's going on as you're surfing. They've got, they got photos of him in the pipelines, you know, the waves about to wipe this guy out and he's surfing through them. And he says to Andrew Denton, he says, you know what? He says, everything happens in slow motion. He says, you sit out in the ocean there and you're waiting for your chance. You're waiting for your wave. He says, and then you finally get a wave and you sit on the top of that wave. He said, it's like time stands still. He said, and you have two choices and you avidly, vividly make these two, one of these two choices. And that is, he says, you either back off the wave and head back out and wait for another one, he says, or you tip over the edge of that wave and you ride that wave. And he said, but you have to understand one thing. The minute you tip over the front of that wave, you have to engage in total commitment. He said, if you don't engage in total commitment, he said, that wave will spit you up and chew you out and land you on the surf in a way that you never want to be. You know, when I was thinking about that, so many of us get to the top of that wave, don't we? And we back off. God takes us to the point of that wave. And there's too many what-ifs in our minds. What if I wipe out? Well, what if you do? Get up and write another one. What if, what if I make a mistake? What if you don't? What if you ride the wave that God has got for you? Let us begin in chapter 9 and verse 1. I want to encourage everybody in this room this morning, but all this I laid to heart, all that has come before, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. I want to encourage everybody in this room that, you know, what time is imposed on us, death is imposed on us. We understand from the book of Ecclesiastes that there are no guarantees in this life. You could almost call Ecclesiastes an extended version of Romans chapter 8. He doesn't talk about life in the spirit, but he does in Romans 8.20 talk about that all creation is subject to futility. Who knows that if you're sitting in this room this morning, you're a part of God's creation. One of you, thank you. Awesome. Being a part of God's creation means that you're subject to futility and in this life there's no guarantees. In fact, the writer to Ecclesiastes says, man does not know what will come after him. Do you know what tomorrow holds? You may make plans and you may try to formulate a plan for tomorrow, but you don't know what tomorrow holds. We're not guaranteed our next heartbeat, friends. But your life is in the hands of God. I love the story of Joseph. As I was thinking about this verse, I reflected on Joseph. And have a look at what happened in the life of Joseph. He was a guy that never did anything necessarily that wrong. He was a bit of a dreamer. So there's a warning there about telling everybody about your dreams. They tend to get a little bit jealous. Be careful who you tell the dreams that God puts on your heart. They might drop you down a hole and sell you into Egypt. But, but what we see with Joseph is that he's placed in a hole, even though his brothers wanted to kill him. And then he goes to, finally makes, he's sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. He's unjustly accused. And then he goes to jail, he's in jail and he's introduced to the the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker and they have dreams and he says don't ever forget me now that I've interpreted these dreams for you, one did forget because he lost his head, the other one forgot just because he wanted to. And then the Pharaoh has a dream and we see a Joseph that is exalted to the second place in Egypt. He is the prime minister of Egypt. He answers to nobody apart from Pharaoh. But there's one common thread through all of Joseph's life that you begin to read and the Lord was with him and the Lord was with him and the Lord was with him. Our lives are in the hands of God. Romans 8 and Ecclesiastes addresses the futility, but it acknowledges the hand of God. You get to the end of Romans chapter 8 and what do we find? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen. Amen. Let's keep reading down the preacher goes on and he says whether it is love or hate man does not know both are before him it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked and we have looked at that haven't we we've looked at the fact that uh the same thing happens to the righteous and the wicked good things happen to bad people bad things happen to good people it just so happens that's the case Chuck Swindoll says it beautifully that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react. Hallelujah. Preach it, Pastor. We're hearing you. All right, we'll get on to embrace life. Everybody loves this part. If we come down to verse seven, and we should too, we should enjoy life. God has given you breath in your lungs to enjoy it. God has given you family and relationships and all that he has given us so that we should enjoy it. And that's exactly what the preacher wants us to know. Verse seven, he says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife. There's no plural there, gentlemen. Enjoy the the life with with your wife, whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, under the sun, because that is your portion. C.S. Lewis says it beautifully when he says, if we aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in, but if you aim at earth, you will actually get neither. Enjoy life, friends, but you will not find any fulfillment, meaning, purpose or joy in this life outside of God. Everything will be empty. As we have, as we looked at last week, when it comes to the things of this world and the things of this life, satisfaction is so often sold separately. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will actually get neither. If we come down to verse 11, I want to, I'm going to introduce a man on a, I've got an AV that I'd like us to all watch. And the minute we see this AV and we see this man, we're all going to know who he is. But uh, I want to read this verse to you and then I want you to watch this AV and it should click straight away. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race doesn't always go to the swift. You ever noticed that? One man did and I want to introduce you to him.
1: Last man standing is what I was dubbed by the world's media after that race. Exactly how did that happen? I trained for 12 years, competed for Australia in four Winter Olympic Games. The main reason that I was there in Salt Lake City was to put some demons to rest. In Canada, 1994, I was impaled on the back of a rival skate, got my leg cut open, almost lost my life, 18 months before winning that gold medal. I had a crash in training, went headfirst into the barrier and broke my neck. I'd skated at three Winter Olympics and I hadn't done my best at any of them and I just wanted to skate my best. In Salt Lake City I did that in the quarter finals. I beat a four-time world champion, made it through to the semis. I was pretty realistic about it and decided I don't think I'm as good as these other guys. And my best chance to get through to the final was to get on the ice in the semi and stay out the way. I figured there's no reason I should change my tactics for the final. Bring this on! Heading into the last turn, I see the Chinese guy fall. Set up my final turn, out of a corner of my eye, I see the other three tumble. And from that moment I knew... So I didn't have to skate anymore. All I had to do was glide across the finish line. I wasn't sure if I should put my arms up in the air in celebration or go and hide in the corner. had no idea what the appropriate response was at that moment. I suppose in some people's mind, the question will always remain, did I win an Olympic gold by accident? Half a dozen blokes had just fallen over and they wanted me to go up there and take a gold medal for it. I wasn't sure if I deserved to. I only had a few minutes to think about it, but During that few minutes, I decided, yeah, I'm going out there on the podium and I'm taking that gold medal. But I'm not taking it for the 90 seconds of that race. I'm going to take it for the 12 years in the lead up to that 90 seconds.
0: Little did uh, Stephen Bradbury know that he was a very ecclesiastical kind of a guy. Stephen Bradbury actually says in another interview, I went in the eighth favourite. Did anybody realise there was only five there? <laughs> he had, from on, on paper, he, even he will admit on paper, I was a rank outsider to even make the final, let alone get into the gold medal final and win. Why? Because those guys were a heck of a lot faster than he was. They trained harder, they were just simply faster. But have you ever noticed that sometimes in life's uncertainties, uh, as we're going through life, despite all of our preparation, we end up like those four skaters and we slip at the last turn. Many people have checked, they weren't pushed, they slipped. So we see that the race doesn't always go to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the favour to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to all of us, friends, and in all of the uncertainties of life, where will you find your certainty is the question that the preacher wants to ask. Where, or should I say who, do we find all of our certainties? Man does not know his time just like Stephen Bradbury had no idea that lingering behind so far would mean that you'd won. Did you you notice that the guys that fell over almost squealed across the line in front of him anyway, (laughs) even though they'd fallen over. So he did quite well. Salt Lake City, 2002. I want to skip now to chapter 11 and I want to begin to now open up the so what. And we come to chapter 11, and verse 1, it says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And there is, in a sense, there is this underlying theme where if you give out, then it will return to you. And that is absolutely correct. But... The preacher wants us to know more from these verses and particularly this verse. And what he is saying here is cast your bread upon the waters. What are we supposed to do? Life can be uncertain. Do we go and sit in a corner and hide in the dark and allow life to pass us by? No, the preacher says cast your bread upon the waters. Maybe another way for us to understand it is that a boat sitting in the harbour is somewhat useless. And what the preacher wants us to know is lift up the anchor and set sail but so many of us sit and remain in the harbour wondering what storms may come. Stop wondering. If you sail out of the harbour, I can guarantee you this, you will encounter storms. They are storms that you will not predict. You won't know where they come from, but you can predict one thing. God will go through the storm with you. Earlier this year I spoke about the disciples in the boat with Jesus and he's having a snooze and the storm kicks up and he rolls on his other side, doesn't bat an eyelid and they come to him and say, Master, we're going to perish. What is going on here? What are you doing? How can you sleep through this storm? He can sleep through the storm because he knows that somebody else is in control. Friends, cast your bread upon the waters. The word cast here isn't something that you would... It's speaking of a total commitment or abandonment. It's a little bit like Mick Fanning. It's like ride the wave in... in, Back in Tasmania in fly fishing, I used to fish with guys that would walk around with their rod in their hand and and their fly in their hand and they would walk around looking for fish all day. And then they would pull up and find a fish moving and they would go, look at that fish, he's he's moving and he's rising. And I'm standing there going, for goodness sake, cast a fly at it. And they're going, yeah, but have a look at the size of that fish. If I muck this up, you know, I'm going to spook the fish and so what? If you don't cast the fly, you won't spook the fish, but you're not going to get a chance to catch it either cast your bread upon the waters, pull up the anchor and set sail for what it is that God wants you to move into. Charles Kingsley says it brilliantly when he says, I do not want merely to possess a faith, I want a faith that possesses me. Tipping off the front of that wave that Mick Fenning spoke about, casting your bread upon the waters looks like a faith that possesses us let us move down Uh, give a portion to seven or even to eight verse two for you know not what disaster may happen on earth if the clouds are full of rain they empty themselves on the earth if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls there it will lie he who observes the wind will not sow so often we observe the wind and we miss the harvest So often we're too busy looking at the storms, we're we're too busy looking at the weather, We're, we're too busy wondering whether we should or whether we shouldn't, and we miss the harvest because we never sow any seed. Ecclesiastes is telling us to sow the seed. In Tasmania, if you watch the weather, you would never go trout fishing. Maybe six days a year, you would go trout fishing. Maybe six days a year you would do anything in Tasmania because it's just better inside in front of the fire sometimes. But so often we, we look for the storms and we miss everything that God has for us because we observe the wind. Let's move down to verse 5. As you do not know the way that the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Does anybody here know how the spirit comes to the bones in the womb? Has anybody got a formula for that? Does anybody work that out? Nobody in this room has worked that out. Do you know there's a million other things that we can't and haven't worked out? Do you know that at the end of Job, God asks Job 67 questions, of which today, with all our scientific advancements, we can answer 19? just so happens that there's an element of mystery to the God that we serve. There's an element of mystery. I don't know... Uh, I remember watching a documentary on... uh, uh, the, the journey of a baby through the womb and apparently according to all medical people, they say there's only 12 days a year that a woman can even fall pregnant and all the things that have to line up for all of this to happen, I just sit there and go, you know what, I'm happy it's a mystery because I can't work it out. There's so much in this life that we can't work out. There's, there's so much that we want to understand. There's so much that we want to control, but you can't control God and you can't put him into a box and you'll never have all the answers. You do not know God's workings. Joseph would never have known God's workings. Joseph could never have understood, but sitting as the prime minister of Egypt, he would sit there and go, ah. Isn't hindsight a wonderful thing? Give me hindsight, Lord, and give it to me now, is our prayer so often. Rabbi Zachariah says that God has hidden just enough of himself to make faith necessary, but has revealed just enough of himself to make faith reasonable. It is reasonable to believe in God because there is good evidence for what he has revealed. Come with me now down to verse nine. It says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now we come to a but. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And I pause there to have a look at this verse because the word know there is a grasping of a truth that shapes and moulds our life. And our whole life should be shaped and moulded according to the truth that lies in the fact that everything we do, we will give an account. That is not God retelling your sins. That is not you standing in Christ and God getting a criminal record out And reading off your sins. He's forgotten them. That's not what he's doing. But he has deposited talents. He has deposited a salvation. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And we will give an account of that when we stand before him. And that should shape our lives. Uh, I've... Had the, I don't know whether it's a privilege or a pleasure or not, but over the course of my time, I've had many jobs and I've, I've been in many job interviews and I get asked this question at almost every single one of them. Are you able to work unsupervised? It's kind of a catch-22 question, isn't it? What if you say no? <laughs> <laughs> but so many people say yes, but prove that the answer is no. But isn't it interesting how we actually behave differently when we know somebody's watching us. When somebody's watching, you might not pick your nose. And everybody that laughed then, that's right. But we behave differently, don't we? And we behave differently at work. If, if somebody's got cameras on us watching us and we don't know, we go about our merry way. But if, if we know that camera's there, we will behave differently. If, if the boss is coming onto the floor, everything's got to be perfect, We behave differently, don't we? How differently would we conduct our lives if we grasped hold of the truth that God sees everything we do? God hears every word that falls from our mouths. God knows every thought that you think. He knows when you think, I love my pastor. He knows that. (laughs) So this is not a retelling of sins, but we will stand before him. In fact, Paul calls it the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat, Paul's very athletic. You have to understand he uses a lot of athletic imagery when he's speaking. But the judgment seat for the Romans was that somebody would stand on a podium in the middle of the Colosseum and would observe everybody participating in all of the events. And that judgment seat was somebody there to make sure you behaved according to the rules and that you completed everything according to how you should. You would give an account of the race that you run. That's a message for another day. Now we move down to chapter 12, and it says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And I know that this is not the the case for everybody in this room. My mother-in-law might say amen when I say this, but I can remember going to youth group And I can remember all the children that I grew up with in youth and youth group and high school. And I now turn around and go, Lord, where are they all? Where are they? They're not in church, friends. They don't have a relationship with God. We could draw strong words from making our youth remember their Creator while they are young. Before the evil days set in, we're now going to enter a a passage of scripture here that I would like to call prevention is better than cure. It is... Before the evil days come, before it is too late, remember your creator. Before you have to give an account of your life, remember your creator. Before you come to the end of your life, remember your creator. Before the evil days draw near and you have no pleasure in them. Before you find out that all of this life and all of this world has no satisfaction and meaning. Before you get to that point, grab hold of God. Prevention is always better than cure. We say that God forgives us our sins, and he does, but it doesn't always mean that he removes the consequences. Have a look at the life of David. David commits adultery with Bathsheba and deliberately sends her husband into a position where he will be killed, and the sword never departs from David's house from that point onwards. Oh, he was forgiven, yes. Absolutely, God forgave him of his sins, but there were consequences for his actions. Prevention is always better than cure. And now we come to the end of the matter. And I'll read the last portion of Ecclesiastes from verse 9. It says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. Take up a life of reading and that life will never end. You will read. There's plenty to read. Yep. And much study is a weariness no, no. of the flesh. <laughs> mm some weariness we need, Sister Kate. Verse 13, the end of the matter. (laughs) The end of the matter, all has been heard. So what's the end of the matter? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What is the end of the matter? Mr. Anonymous we've heard from him a few times, says the way you view God will eventually show up in the way you live your life. The way you view God will eventually show up in the way that you view your life. All has been heard. What have we heard from Ecclesiastes? We have heard that life can be uncertain and that we live in a creation of futility at times. We have heard that satisfaction is so often sold separately. We have heard that all our guarantees lay in God alone and that time and death happened to us all. So what is the therefore of the book of Ecclesiastes? What is the so what? First one is fear God. Adopt a posture of reverence and respect and awe for God. Live your life fearing God. Fearing God looks like you're conscious of his presence all the time. Do you know, Mark Conner pointed this out beautifully, did he not, Pastor Liz, that you have all the presence of God you're ever going to get right now? God is in this room. What's the problem? We need to be more aware of his presence. Fearing God, I've given the analogy a couple of times of the rare... Chinese vase, but fearing God can also be like holding newborn babies. And we've had a few of those lately. We've got a few more to come. There's three coming from the morasses. And we're up to triplets, I think, now, are we? Yeah. And of course, uh Baby Hope. And uh for those who know the Rubios, they welcomed a beautiful little girl into the world, Poppy, recently. And when I looked at Poppy, I, I remembered when I held Sophie in my arms and thought, wow, she looks like an alien. Did we really do this? Was this us? You know, when they first come out, you look and go, that doesn't look like me at all. Can I get an amen in the house? But after time, they get a little bit cuter every day, don't they? Just God's gift to us is children. But I can remember the first time I held Sophie in my arms and I was terrified. I'm looking at the nurses going, what am I supposed to do with this thing? And I was terrified. Why? Not because Sophie was going to punch me in the face and hurt me. That comes comes when they're teenagers. No, no, no. I was terribly afraid that I might do anything that might hurt this precious thing sitting in my arms. And fearing God looks like... We adopt a life and a posture of life that says, I don't want to do anything that would hurt you, God. We're overcome with, our, with awe and respect for God. The second thing is to surrender to his sovereignty. We'll have a little bit of a look at this as we look at the life of Jonah. But you know, faith equals basically surrendering to the sovereignty of God. Jonah comes to this point when he's on the boat and they're trying to row him back to shore and he's trying to go to Tarshish, and he says in the end, he says, you know what, just chuck me over. God will have his way no matter what. You can't get back to shore. You're not making a whole lot of ground here. I've been in a boat when that's happened once or twice before. But they throw him overboard and then a fish swallows uh, Jonah. I tend to like eating my fish. I t- like it the other way around. But then a fish eats Jonah But we need to surrender to the sovereignty of God. And what that looks like is, uh, we may not know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future. So just rest and trust God each and every day. Jesus says, don't don't be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries about itself. Have a look at the flowers of the fields. Have a look at the beauty of the flowers of the fields. Uh, Solomon in all his glory was never arrayed such as one of these. Surrender to the sovereignty of God. And therefore today, his friends, cast your bread upon the waters. Pull up the anchor and set sail out of the harbour. God is waiting for us. God is waiting for us to pull up the anchor. God is ready to move. His presence is here. My question to you today is, will you pull up the anchor? Will you... As you get to the top of that wave, and you've got two choices, life goes in slow motion with God sometimes too. But when you get to the top of that wave, you're going to have to make a choice too. God, do I tip over the edge here? Or do I do what I've done so many times before and slink back? Revivals are birthed by people who decided I'm going to tip over the edge. I love people like Smith Wigglesworth. Has anybody here heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Everybody has heard of Smith Wigglesworth and why do I grow grasp such delight from Smith Wigglesworth? First of all, he points out the fact that you don't have to be educated or intelligent to make an impact for God. He learnt to read the Bible as his wife taught him after they were married. He was a plumber with a very high reputation in the end, but he was a plumber. He wasn't the smartest man, but it's interesting what will happen when God gets hold of a man that is as thick as two bricks sometimes. In fact, as Derek Kitchen once said, it'll take a man as thick as two bricks to make an impact for God. Somebody who will just surrender to him. But I love Smith Wigglesworth because he shows me that it didn't all die out with the Apostles. We can live a life close to God. Now, here's a guy that would empty prayer rooms. They would come in and pray and Wigglesworth would begin praying and they're clambering out on their hands and knees out of the prayer meetings. One guy, Robert Learden, testifies from picking him up and transporting him one time. And he said, the presence of God was that thick, I could barely drive the car. Cast your bread upon the waters, ride that wave, lift up the anchor, because God has so much more for each and every one of us. Let us pray. If you need prayer this morning, if you need to do business with God, we want to open up the altar as the worship team come back. I'm wondering if we can stand in God's presence this morning. Father, we stand before you with awe and wonder. We stand before you, Father God, this morning, knowing that all of our lives are in your hands. Father, there are people in this room this morning that are sitting on the top of that wave right now. There are people in this room this morning that know exactly what the word through looks like. There are people in this room that would lift their hand and say, I know what it is to be in the furnace. I know what it is to need God. Father, I believe that you can stretch forth your mighty sovereign hand right now and touch every person in this room right where they're at. I pray, Father, for every person in this room that you would, that you would speak and clarify within their hearts what it is that you want to say. And I pray that every person in this room, Father, would tip over Tip over the edge of that wave and lift up the anchor. Father, we thank you for all the good things that you give us. We thank you for the abundance that each and every one of us enjoy. We thank you for the riches of salvation this morning. And we stand before you in awe and respect and reverence. And we say thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available,